Hello and welcome back to Mic'd Up with Michael Roser and Drew Robinson, episode four on this lovely rainy Tuesday evening here from Chicago, Illinois. Drew Robinson is officially returned from his uh, week-long sabbatical in South Carolina. That's right, Matt. You're not taking my spot. Sorry, Uh, Bob. And safe to say he is uh, off the hot seat for the time being as the co-host, but we do like to believe competition breeds greatness, so Matt, we love that he's gunning for Drew's spot, but I think Drew uh, has it strongly in control for the time being. Drew, welcome back. Yep, great to be back. A lot's been down since I took my little absence. Uh, Great little family trip, but obviously very excited to be back and uh, get down to some very interesting combos today. Um, I love it. And Drew, yeah, we missed you, obviously, but glad you uh, had a good time in your refreshed and reloaded for the second part of the summer here. And uh, I will say, going into this episode, I've been thinking... um, obviously we do like to dabble in a little sports talk and it really dawned upon me that we are strongly cemented in the dog days of the sports calendar right now it seems like you know NHL NBA all wrapped up NFL obviously doesn't come around until training camp starts in a little bit over a month here um but then I kind of got excited because I figured we could use this time in the in the dive down time of the sports year to really cover a topic that at least I personally feel very strongly about. And it's something that I think being here in Chicago, just about every fucking person in our demographic gets this one wrong. That is the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James debate. And, um, I know you, I know you probably are very opinionated on this topic too. And, um, how do you feel about diving into this one for us just a little bit? I'm all about it. It's a very commonly discussed thing, especially, you know, there, there are a lot of Chicago guys who feel very strongly in, obviously, the direction of number 23. Oh, wait, which one's that again? <laughs> <laughs> nah, depends the, uh, who you ask. Jordan, but uh, to be honest, you said I, I probably have a strong opinion. I'd say I'm more in the middle than most people. Interesting. And I think it's one thing I've, I've, I was definitely more opinionated when I was younger, but one thing I've come to realize is that as, as underwhelming as it might be, I do think there's something to be sad about not being able to compare the two because of how different the game was. Now, you obviously can look at stats and numbers and overall un, unquantitative features but I think overall the game is, is honestly just different. And so it's hard to compare them, but I'm very down to get into the debate. And so I'd like you to start us off because I definitely do know your position on it. So I will tell you this. I'm by no means a Jordan stan or by no means a LeBron stan. I'm just an, object, an objective viewer who's formulated his opinion based on 15 years of what I would say watching the NBA Pretty diligently, um, obviously that that can depend on how captivating of a year it is and whatnot. But for the most part of LeBron's career, at least, I would say you know I, I've been following pretty closely. And I will say this: this is my this is the one thing I feel most strongly about when it comes to LeBron and Jordan, especially when it seems like do you know how many I'm sure you can relate because Drew and I are both from the Chicago suburbs. And I will tell you this: it is so fucking annoying. How many kids that we talk to and are friends with that clearly only have made up their mind 
about LeBron versus MJ solely based off what their dads have told them. And by their dads, I mean people who clearly lived in Chicago in the 1990s and just fell in love with Jordan, right, like, rightly so, right? Like, but I'm saying I've watched LeBron James since he was 18 years old until he's 38 years old now, dominating the MLB or the NBA for the most part. Um, really not even taking a, a season off, it seems like, um, besides maybe last year. Yet you've got people that will die on the take that MJ is better when they've never even watched a full regular season game from Michael Jordan. And that is the big thing for me. It's like, how are you going to fucking tell me Michael Jordan's better than LeBron James when you've literally seen the last dance? And that's all you're using to, to decide that this guy is the best player at his profession in the history of the game that we've seen. And like that, I think, is what's driven me so much more is to take the LeBron point of view just because... I'm only going to believe half of what I see and none of what I hear. And I've watched LeBron plenty. I've seen him in person five-plus times. Um, and I'll tell you this, that's by far the best basketball player I've ever seen in my lifetime. Yeah, so just to follow up on that, a few things. I think the first one is right when you started talking about that, the first thing that came to mind is the last dance because I will say it's pretty sweet and you kind of get to see the competitor that Jordan truly was. And that's definitely undebatably something that he'll have on LeBron just because it's not even something that's you just turn on on the court. Don't get me wrong. LeBron can turn it on on the court. I'm talking off the court too. Jordan at his core was not only a competitor, but a psycho, like a psycho when it came to competing. He, he, similar to Kobe, it, it was a lifestyle. It wasn't just a, oh, it's, it's game seven of the finals, time to turn it on. It was a, this is what I do for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every goddamn day. And to follow up on that, to bring in quickly, I think it's important to cover some of the important stats. So first mm-hmm. and foremost, Jordan, obviously the better scorer, about three more points per game. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's where I'm going to have to stop you right now. LeBron James is the leading scorer in NBA history. Yeah, but that's... How is Michael Jordan better than him? I feel like one has to factor in longevity, but keep in mind that Jordan's era of basketball was far more physical. I mean, you saw those... Even in the last dance, you saw those series against the bad boys and the Pistons. Like, you're getting thrown on the court. You're getting your head slammed in. And not to, not to say that longevity isn't a very cool aspect of LeBron's career, but something I, I do think that we need to keep in mind is is how much more physical and, and physically demanding the game was. And I, will get, and I will concede one point to you. The scoring averages per team in MJ's era were about 14 points per game lower than what they are today. So it was harder to come by buckets. So scoring, yeah, I might concede... I might concede that to Jordan, but I will say... I'd say consistency and, and longevity is a category in and of itself. I think it spans across... I'm saying just, like, purely, like, take them in their prime, the better absolute scorer. I think you got to give it to Jordan. Moving into rebounds and assists, that's where LeBron clearly has the edge. Um, and that makes sense, because he is known as a more well-rounded player, I would say, and he also is willing to share the ball, whereas Jordan was kind of, give me the fucking ball and I'm going to score. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to interrupt you here, and I really like how you're doing this. So I'm going to just go through the seven main points per game categories and, and just to give everyone some context, and then I want you to go into which ones you think are the most telling. Minutes per game, 38.4 for uh, LeBron, 38.3 for Jordan. So same, like you said, LeBron 27.1 PPG. Uh, Jordan's averaging 30.1 points per game. 
Um, this is where you had just left off, but rebounds per game, LeBron's at 7-4, Jordan's 6-2. Assists, once again, LeBron's 7-4, MJ 5-3. Steals per game, LeBron 1.6, MJ's higher with 2.3. And then 8, or 0.8 blocks per game for both of them. LeBron's shooting a tad higher at 50.4 field goal percentage, MJ 49.7, both very respectable. Um, and those are the main ones. In addition to that, obviously, you know, LeBron's got the four titles in 12 tries, and Jordan's got the six titles in how many How many finals did MJ go to? <laughs> <laughs> That's obviously the argument you hear the most, six for six. Yeah. Um, so key, key note people don't often talk about, LeBron, obviously the 10 finals appearances in 14 playoff appearances, or sorry, 10 finals in 14 appearances in the playoffs. MJ, six finals in only 13 playoff appearances. So I do think it's a little weird that people love to punish LeBron for making it to the finals when it seems like they'd prefer that MJ would lose before getting to the finals. I've never understood that argument, but that's uh, that's the full rundown between the two of those. What do you think? What do you make of that? Yeah, so that's a that's a quantitative perspective on it. And here's how I here's how I see it. So there are two ways to look at it. One is the six for six, right? Jordan six finals appearances, won them all. The other way to look at it is making what is it? Twelve finals? Ten? Ten for LeBron. Ten making ten finals in and of itself is a big achievement. And while he only came away with four of them, I I think he was only favored in maybe five of them. I want to say. If that, yeah. If that. Uh, so that, that's definitely something to keep in mind. That's one way to look at it. And that's the argument that I tend to hear a lot as well, the six for six, keeping it at that. But I heard something interesting recently, and it's kind of been the way that I like to talk about it these days. Someone said, Jordan is the GOAT and LeBron is the best basketball player of all time. And so I think what that means is Jordan – as a pure winner, pure competitor, pure athlete, yeah, he's the GOAT. Like, GOAT status. That's up for interpretation, obviously. But in terms of best just skill, overall, well-rounded basketball player, I think it's pretty hard to not kind of put LeBron in the front running there. Now, all this being said, I don't love LeBron off the court. I'm sure you can agree with with me there and so it's hard to concede anything his way but I think that just even goes to show that if we're willing to if we're if we're willing to do that I think we're looking at it from a purely objective standpoint so I think it's a very interesting debate I think it's one that doesn't really have a right answer and I think it's something that no one will ever concretely agree upon but yeah those are my thoughts so I will say this one thing that I do want to clarify is you'll say like you might think that I don't like LeBron off the court, but I will tell you, like, me personally, I really respect the fuck out of LeBron James. Obviously, over the last four years, we'll call it, maybe it's the L.A. effect once he moved out behind enemy lines, but, um, <laughs> no, nah, but he's definitely, like, you know, done some some question, more shady, questionable stuff um, in the public spotlight over the last few years, mostly just political, but I'm not even really going to get too much into that I would just say like when he was 16 years old he was put on cover of Sports Illustrated saying the chosen one the next Michael Jordan and you're saying from 16 years of age then obviously go straight to the league at 18 um, and I watched an interview this over the weekend of him 
during his rookie year and, and the interviewer is saying, what do you like? What do you make of people saying, if you're not a Hall of Famer, a first ballot Hall of, Hall of, Flame, Hall of Famer, you are a bust. And the amount of pressure that was on that kid's shoulders since he was 18 years old, 20 seasons in now, obviously we just talked about all the accolades, but the fact that he's one of the two greatest players of all time and the fact that what he was doing in year one, he's still doing in year 20. Like He's done some unbelievable things from a career standpoint, the 3-1 comeback against Golden State, and the worst scandal this guy's ever had during his entire career, which has been with the emergence of social media, with the emergence of 24-7 access to these people. The worst thing LeBron's ever done has been to exhibit his right of free agency as a member of the National Basketball Association. The worst thing he ever did was leave Cleveland and go to Miami compared to, look at these new superstars that have grown up in the age of social media. John Morant and Zion Williamson looked like they were going to be like literally the next LeBron James and they're not even 25 years old and have these scandals that are jeopardizing all of their, basically like all of their achievements to this point. Yeah, the worst LeBron's done, maybe, you know, join the Heat or... Tweet some tweet something stupid about Nike, honestly, which is I'm I'm sure what has irked you and me in the past. But I don't know. I feel like if MJ was was in his prime during these days, there'd be pictures of him at the casino at 3 a.m. the night before games, or on the golf course boozing the night before games. Like, obviously, the Last Dance made him look like the biggest legend on in human history because it was produced by him and there was select. They basically could pick and choose whatever they wanted to use in the film to frame him as the GOAT. You don't think LeBron's documentaries in 20 years are going to be like, holy shit, that guy was like the man. I don't know. That's kind of my opinion. Like, I, I've definitely really sharpened my appreciation for LeBron over the past few years, but it is what it is. We'll see how LeBron's career wraps up. Um, maybe if Kyrie goes to L.A., we see him get one more. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Uh not every day you and I both disagree, especially when it, when it comes to the GOAT debate, but I do like it. Um, yeah, absolutely, and I think you just opened the floodgates to some commentary back your way. Yeah, please uh, obviously follow us on social media. Instagram and Twitter pages are up. Feel free to drop your uh, commentary in the comments on any of our posts. But um, shifting topics, there, and by the way, I'm sure a lot of the hometown fans are not going to like that opener right yeah, there. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> we, we embrace debate, we encourage it, so bring it on. But um, shifting topics a little bit here, because something that has uh, been shaking the airwaves and the, and the Twitter world over the past few days, Drew, since we last talked, is the... Submarine. The, yeah, the, <laughs> dude, the Titanic is making a comeback 100-plus years later. It's taken out, taken out more casualties somehow. Um, I guess that goes to show the sea is a cruel mistress, as they say. Um how much would I have had to pay you before knowing what you know you know now to get into that summary to begin with? Or would it have been priceless? Well, it's funny because it actually cost $2,500. Yeah, right. That yeah. you pay to go. But I don't know. I, I was thinking about it, and I don't think I'd think about it like, oh, I'm definitely going to die. But... Even looking at the video of what it would look like to be in that submarine, I cannot say I'd be the first in line. Now, that being said, I do think, like, if the mission went successful and we saw the footage of what it looks like, I think our minds might change because that'd be a pretty cool experience. But knowing what I know now, uh, I'd say you couldn't pay me anything. Yeah. <laughs> Hindsight's obviously twenty twenty. Um 
can I tell you what my, the main thing going through my head during that entire situation was? Because we obviously love, like, our minds, I feel like, could just race and go down, like, the biggest rabbit hole ever. <laughs> no, not, not right now. <laughs> no, no. This is more so, this just, that statistic always blows my mind, and I don't even know if I believe it. But I've seen it in enough places where people say we've explored more of space than we have of the ocean. And they say we've only explored about 5% of the total ocean. And let, I, let me revise that statistic really quick. Ex- explored, I feel like, entails actually being within or, or, or transcending it. A lot of what we know about space is just through satellite imagery. So I guess in a sense, I, I don't know. I feel, I've always felt like that statistic needs to be revised. But anyway. I would I, agree. I would yeah. agree. But... All I'm saying, whether that's 100% accurate of a statement or not, it just this whole saga goes to show we still don't know sh- anything about the deep sea. And dude, the deep sea is a terrifying place. And we're gonna post on our Instagram this this metric I took a screenshot of, but it's showing basically like the extent of of the deep sea up to the point where they were at in the submarine. And what, like, and just putting into context its depth, like, where they were, dude, is, like, 15 times the vertical height of, like, the Empire State Building. And it's, like, you don't, it's hard to even comprehend that on our Earth itself, there's, like, that vast downwards of just mystery. Is it seven miles, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. And I think the craziest part that a lot of people don't realize it seems, oh, why don't we just sonar the whole ocean? Like, I've, I've thought that before. Or don't we have satellites that can just scan? There's no light that gets down to a certain level. I don't know exactly how deep it is, but to, to think about that, it, it's literally pitch black. The light can no longer travel down there. And so a lot of these scanning and, and, and recon methods that they do use, and I might need a little fact check here, but I'm sure require at least some light or some ability to be able to, to see or at least have photons being able to travel down there. That I don't know for certain, but it is crazy to think about how much of the ocean is completely pitch black and unable to be seen. And so that's another part that's crazy to me. And another thing I forget, and I'm sure everyone knows this, but I, I take it for granted a lot and I'm sure other people do, is just how much of the earth is ocean. It's kind of nuts to think yeah, about like 70%. how big the land seems. And then and then you're like, holy shit, you could literally travel across the Pacific Ocean. Dude, it's like half the fucking world. Dude, there's two <laughs> things, there's two things I think about that help me try and keep the 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 sheer size of the oceans in context. One of which is Garbage Island. I've seen from several incredible sources that say that Allegedly, in the Pacific Ocean, there is a collection of sea litter and debris collected on, like, in one congregated area the size of Texas. I'm the, sure it's bigger. The size of fucking Texas. I'm sure it's bigger. So if you think about that, you're, it's like, you're telling me I could, I could take a flight over the Pacific Ocean, and I'm like, couldn't even, I would never know that this thing exists, yet it's the size of Texas just sitting out there. So that's huge. Two, 
Have you ever like looked into um, that? Or there's a great Netflix documentary on, on it, but Malaysian flight three seventy. Yes, I watched right? it recently. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, some of the displays they have about that, about where they're like the search area. Yeah, You're telling nuts. me a plane in 2019 with like all modern technology just goes missing, and your search criteria is like five Indias. Good <laughs> yeah, good fucking luck. Good luck. We got to get in the, the Malaysian flight down the road in one of these episodes because that's a crazy Maybe this there, episode, so. dude, because I'm watching this new show on Netflix. It's called Manifest. And it, have you seen it? I've heard about it. I'm not a big show guy. I'm more Norm. of a guy these days. <laughs> <laughs> the book is always better, they say. Um, all right, nerd. But no. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, uh, I like to peruse a good book. Don't get me wrong. But this show, it's just like... Had me thinking, I don't know if you ever watched Lost, but like these shows yeah, about like Lost. these shows about like flights going missing and it's kind of crazy because like air modern air travel got invented in like the 1960s yet you and I can have taken hundreds of flights in our lifetimes and Probably never more. never once had a second guess about like our safety yet it was literally invented like a hundred years ago to begin with. So I will say quick, quick side tangent. <laughs> I had never had an issue with safety until this recent flight I took Uh-oh. when I went to California. Coming in and landing in Orange County, or Orange County Airport, I legit thought our plane was gonna fall. Like, like it, it started going down, but then it seemed like it like tilted back, and the tail was literally pointed to the ground. And I was like, "Is this good?" <laughs> and I look over, and then it starts fucking shaking, and everyone's like screaming. But anyway. This yeah, is like during was, COVID, the flight you took? Yeah. Are you serious? It was crazy. Landing but, in California? Yeah, and then I got down and everyone's was like, that oh, yeah, that's just how, No, everyone's just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's how, that's how it happens because like the jet streams from the mountains. And I'm like, well, holy fuck. I have to <laughs> <have been> nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, that's a wild. I, every once in a while, like I've probably had three flights with like, I would call it real turbulence. And it, that is one thing. Terrifying. It's like the most terrifying thing I can only, if you equate it to like what they were going through in the submarine, it's just like situations where you have no control over the outcome of, right? Yeah. Which is the most terrifying feeling ever. The good thing about the submarine though is that death was literally, uh, it happened faster than your brain can even process, like less than a (laughs) fraction of a second. So like in terms of ways to go out, like it's a very sad story, don't get me wrong, but in terms of ways to go out... Not the worst way. I was expecting something like... Running out of air over the span of four days. And yeah. Because that'd be a lot worse. Just the instantaneous... And so then you, it just... I agree. Yeah. Like, you would... If you're going to die, you would prefer it to be easy, obviously. Yeah. Maybe. Still a terrible but, story. Well, but... <laughs> you can't even think about a death like that. It, it'd be like driving in a bus going a thousand miles an hour straight into a wall. That's how quick that pressure would cave in. And instantaneous flattening. Can I tell you this, though? I will say this. So, like, what? We're five days into this story, and we went from, like, the first three days. Oh, oh there's, they still have air. They still have air. They still have air. We're looking for them. Then all of a sudden, on the fourth day, it comes out. It's like, oh, they actually died eight hours in. By the way, the people, like, the Navy and the people, like, working on this knew that also. so just like, wanted to be sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, so if, with that being said, it's like, okay, now we're five days out, and it seems like you, like you and I – oh, we're taking that. Like, oh, they actually died instantaneously at the snap of a finger. Like, I'm just saying, like, unless you're there, truthfully, like, what the fuck do we know? Like, what actually occurred? They could have killed the captain, for all we know, out of hatred for him, like, for organizing the trip. Like, they're four 
4,000 meters below sea level, like, who actually really is to say, like, this is what happened now. Now we know. Five days. Sorry we were wrong the first four, but we got it now. Absolutely. And talk about a great media story for the media. It really makes you wonder if anything else was going on during that time period. Uh, <laughs> I heard, I heard uh, $6.2 billion in funding. Um, there was an accounting error. They actually accidentally set, sent an extra $6.2 billion to Ukraine. Sounds familiar to another time I've heard about an accounting area uh, <laughs> error in the Pentagon. Dude. Do you know? Do you know? What, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I have seen that. Uh, I have seen that. It's, it's three digits. Hint. Um, what is it? Nine eleven. Yeah. Have you have, speaking of nine eleven? Have you ever seen the movie Vice? I have not. So I'm not Dick Cheney. Yeah, I'm not a big movie guy. I do like a good film though, and I would put definitely put this in the film category. Um, and it, dude, Christian Bale, um, who played Batman. Great actor. Um, he plays. He plays American Psycho. Yeah, <laughs> some Bateman. people. Yeah, some people say Drew looks like Jason Bateman <laughs> or, or Patrick Bateman, or Patrick Bateman <clears throat> from uh, American Psycho. I don't necessarily disagree, but no. <laughs> to tie it back, um, they yeah that movie that movie definitely isn't the best look on um, on a vice president in the United States of oh, America. Oh, Cheney was corrupt as hell. He was the one who, who signed all that shit about the privacy leaks. That eventually turned into the whole Snowden dilemma, which is we'll get yeah, into that in episode. But so uh, we're really getting off okay. topic. Let's let's recenter here for a second. Okay. Well, so I I, I um nah, you got sometimes you got to kind of let the conversation flow where it needs Facts. to flow. But um, interestingly enough, I actually speaking of vice presidents, I did see a poll today from NBC. That has VP Kamala Harris's net negative rating of minus 17 is the lowest for any vice president in the polls history. However, I'm going to look at this as an objective observer, no, no political bias going into this. So this rating of the MP, MP, NBC poll, and just bear with me for a minute while I get to my thesis, but this is important background context. I thought the thesis was supposed to come first. <laughs> um, maybe you're right but ready here's, here's some interesting background Dick Cheney had a net plus 23 rating Al Gore had a plus 15 rating Biden had a plus 1 rating Pence had a minus 4 rating Harris has a minus 17 rating and that's just like I said NBC's metric to uh rate the approval of the vice president in the United States. Quick question. How does that metric work? Is that in-house in NBC or is that like a poll for like the public? Or do you uh, not I know? think they, I believe they sample like groups of like thousands of people to, okay. to try and get like a, an average, an aggregate rating. Um, but we can look into that. Um, but I will say, so the, that would beg the question when I first looked at it. Obviously, this probably is coming from a political or from a conservative Twitter account that got the algorithm fed to me. But I look at this and I will say this is my main takeaway. Starting with Gore, then it goes up with Cheney. But like consecutively since then, Biden, then Pence, then Harris, it's getting lower and lower and lower. So I don't necessarily know if the vice president just over the last two decades has actually just regressed in the United States of America, or I'm starting to think that every single new elected official we have, their ratings are just going to continue to go down because I think this is just the first time where like 
every single time Kamala Harris speaks and if she fucks up, we see it. I see it in my pocket. I can just pull out my Twitter. Whereas like our parents, I bet you in a given four-year presidency, they maybe heard the vice president speak one time. One time. Other than that, you're seeing a picture of them in a newspaper every now and then. But like now for the first time, it's like every single blunder these people make, we can see in instant in an instant second so it's just like obviously you're going to see more fuck-ups or do you actually think there's been a regression in the product productivity of our elected officials or is this just the first time the kind of smokescreen has been seen through well first i would argue that i don't even think it's people seeing them actually speak and do things i think it's what they read about it after even myself the amount of times i've heard the president or any of these debates go on maybe i'll turn it on for a little but I'm not going to watch the whole thing through. And so I think every, everyone's got shit going on. Everyone works the whole day. Everyone's got stuff they do on the weekends. Like, I feel like the way everyone gets their news is through a secondhand source. And, and, and now, even these days, it's like secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand, fifthhand. And then it could just get to the point where you're just reading someone else's opinion. It's not even like you should be able to sit down and say, okay, here are my thoughts about it. But it's just not that way anymore because the way we get our information is through all these handed down, second-hand, like I said. And so it's you're not even making your own. You're, you're getting them from other people. And so I think that's part of the issue. But the other part of me wants to say maybe they are getting worse. I'm not a huge fan of Kamala Harris, to be honest. I mean, I don't think she's like a demonish, horrible person. Mm -hmm. Like some people might claim, might claim her to be, but in the small clippets I've seen, which I'm sure are tailored in one direction, it it doesn't look too great. And so <laughs> it makes it makes me wonder. It's so hard to balance between: is what I'm reading actually true? Is she this type of person that I'm, I'm reading she is? Or are my judgments just incorrect? It, it's so hard to know these days. And so I think going back to this kind of mass information overload, I think it's whether you're looking at something like this, like the vice president ratings, or any honestly hot, hotly debated topic in the news or going on today, what percent of it is, is the information I'm getting just flawed? Or you, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I agree. Um, and yeah, I think that's sometimes where the skeptics in us sometimes like contradicts with like the intelligent side of us. Because like objectively and like I think you're a pretty smart kid and like obviously you should be like trusting your judgments. But when it comes to like people you've never met that like you're just like reading reports on, it's like very hard to actually like figure out what is the actual basic level information that like you can just take in and then make your own opinion on. And it's all yeah, go ahead. it's funny because you hear the age old quote trust half of what you see and nothing that you hear. Yeah. And it's like everyone's trusting like whether it's fifty or even ten percent of what they hear. Like I feel like I feel like there's a need to go back and, and kind of trust that age-old wisdom to, like, we need to encourage people to start making their own opinions and formulating their own beliefs around things. Instead of, I remember you brought this up in one of these previous episodes, oh, let me go check Google. It's like, yeah. what do you think the first thing that's going to come up is going to say? It's going to be someone's opinion. And now, not to say that there aren't certain things that are, like, very 
quantitative, very researched, trustworthy sources. And I guess that's up to us individually to choose who those sources are. But if you're not educated in how to do that due diligence and come to your own conclusions and learn who to trust and who to, who to turn to when you need answers, you're fucked. Yeah. And that's just like something I've realized. And I think it's something that needs to start, be, start being taught, whether it's like in an educational setting or by your parents. But it needs to happen soon. And you think about these advancements in AI, it's like people are getting their info from these language models that can easily hallucinate. They're getting, and, and when I say they're getting it from the language models, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going straight to ChatGPT and asking, but like a lot of these news sources now are using language models to write their pieces. And now like, yeah, some of it probably accurate, yeah, but like a lot of it's not. And so yeah, before I go on too much of a tangent, those are my thoughts there. No, dude, it's really interesting you say that because I remember like when when we were when I was in high school and I wonder if it's even changed like by the time you that you'd gotten into high school, but like for a lot of our research papers and stuff, like at least until junior year, we'd go to the library and we were like finding sources in books. Primary text. Yeah. And then in addition to that though, they just started like showing us how to like use like the internet to research certain topics but in every single paper like at the end you would have to have like a bibliography section with direct links citated properly to whatever search engines or whatever you had been using but I feel like now it's like question phone google like whatever like I'm like I I definitely am diligent about like what topics I, or like what sources that I'm going to for example like if I have a basketball question I'm going to basketballreference.com and like I know that like I've, I've used it for years. I know I can trust those statistics and stuff, but like for a lot of, like, especially current event topics, if you're trying to look into it, it's like you could get a totally different story from one source to the next. So it's like you got to be very diligent, I feel like, about figuring out what actually is the correct way to go about judging it. <laughs> absolute. Oh, wait. Only cis speak in absolute. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but, right. but I think... It, and a part of it is, yeah, basketball stats or basketball questions are one thing. Like, that's pretty defined and, and easy easy to answer somewhat. But when it, when it comes to a lot of things going on in current events, there isn't one right answer. And there are a lot of different sides insisting, of, or a lot of different views, I should say, insisting upon their answer. And so, like, it's been this way for a while, but now with the ease of access and the vast number of people who are covering these topics, and not to mention the incentives on from, from third party, whether it be political or monetary, monetary or both interchangeably. There are a lot of incentives for people to have different perspectives, and there's a lot of compensation and money being poured into those perspectives, and so I think that's what makes this, this need for an increase and how careful we are when navigating these tough political current event topics. Definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, I got a question for you, kind of tying back to the OG submarine, and that, by that I mean the Titanic itself. You ever heard the conspiracy about <laughs> the Titanic and why it actually sank? 
Was it? Is it the JP Morgan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, dude, I'm gonna pull this up real quick. I don't quick. know if this is a conspiracy. JP Morgan was not a good dude. So shout I, out Tesla. Tesla. No. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play this and give some people some context. I'm sure we can find like a one minute video on it. But this just goes to show, like I'm sure when the Titanic sank, there was like five news outlets, all probably controlled by like the richest five dudes, and. The story goes that they wanted to create the Federal Reserve in the United States of America to centralize power with the financial institutions behind the country. And there were a couple of people, including like Guggenheim, you know, that's a huge investment bank nowadays. Like the guy who founded Guggenheim, his last name is Guggenheim, was one of these guys who was on the boards voting for whether the Federal Reserve would be created or not. And he, there were like three guys that were voting against it. And they all died on the Titanic. That's nuts. And then the vote passed the next year. Let me let me see if I can get a decent video on this because you've never heard something like this before. It's all time. Now, in the meantime, really quick, just to talk about the whole J.P. Morgan thing, for those who don't know, so he was one of the he was the biggest backer of. I know we talked about this the other day, but he was the biggest backer of Thomas Edison and General Electric. Or was it Edison Electric? I can't remember. But anyway, he was, and what that, what the importance of that. So Tesla, like we talked about the other other time, was supposedly had found a way to distribute energy universally and without cost. And lo and behold, Edison and his biggest backer, J.P. Morgan, swoop in and go not so fast and basically cut off all of his assets, shut him out using the press, which is the craziest part. So, it, was, it was all the press, and that, that's how he did it. So this, this isn't just like a new phenomenon, but back then it was way easier because these people yeah. could get away with it because people weren't skeptical of the press. Well, they just, just only like had... Newspaper. Yeah, they had like one or two sources to get information about. Yeah. Um, there's actually... My dad was telling me about a great book on this topic that he said he's read. It's called Empires of Light, Edison, Tesla, Westinghouse, and the Race to Electrify the World. Um, he said it's all time. I'm actually going to order this thing. Um, but it's order about... Order two of them. Order two of them. All right, I will. Um, yeah, we'll report back on that. Um, but here, let me see. Uh, let me see what we can get real quick on a... Uh... Yeah, absolutely. Just to finish my story really quick. Yeah, continue. Or I guess give a get that book. I gotta read it so I can get I can make make my uh, understanding on this a little bit better. But it, it, it's crazy to think about how long. It, I always talk about the issue with capitalism. Although it's a great system and it's proved to be very powerful because it allows individuals to rise up. The issue is at the very top of the top, there's incentive to close off things that relieve or reduce problems in society because problems lead to money. And so I feel like that's at the very heart of this story, the Titanic video that you're about to show being one of them and, and the lengths to which these people will go and the resources they have to do so are pretty astounding. And it's pretty nuts how this is nothing new. It's just talked about and coming to light talk about one of the benefits of technology yeah. in, in this widespread info. It's you the you get to know shit like that. 
it's the first time really in history and like back in the day you're not no one's knowing no this isn't up for debate because it's not anything that anyone knows think about like the JFK conspiracy like they would just kill the few people like all you gotta do is like silence a couple people and then the yeah. truth like doesn't so get out for 60 years so as corrupt as we years. talk about the press being these days I will say we've come a long way in terms of transparency and now like you gotta fight awesome. for yeah, that's why I do. Like, there's some there's some uh, journalists out there, like Glenn Greenwald, dude, who was the first, who was the guy who used to work at like all the big media outlets, but he published the Snowden piece originally. Follow him on Twitter, and this dude's just so objective, and he's so phenomenal. But like, yeah, there's definitely like good good voices out there that are like spreading, helping spread the truth. But uh, okay, this is from a barstool Chicago reel, but they do a good job just overviewing this Titanic topic. It's actually nuts. Not We're talking Titanic. Maybe somebody did it on purpose. Really? There's tinfoil with this? Oh, yeah. This once-in-a-lifetime type of ship doesn't even make it through its first voyage across the Atlantic. But there is this element of the story where people allege, they theorize that this was a financially motivated, politically motivated move by maybe the most powerful man in the world at that time to get rid of his biggest rivals on one particular policy. And J.P. Morgan... He had people everywhere. He owned a company that owned the Titanic. So he was supposed to be on. At the last minute, J.P. Morgan goes, no, not getting on that boat. One of the reasons that is speculated as to why he didn't get on the boat is he knew the boat was fatally flawed. We're talking Titanic. Maybe somebody did it on purpose. Really? There's tinfoil with this? Oh, we- all right, so they didn't dive into all the reasons like in, in depth there. That was just a short reel. We can we can uh, add some stuff to our, our website and the uh, Insta page with... Uh, some reference links here, but yeah, like there's there's two theories. One is that he had a huge insurance policy out against I've the Titanic one, yeah, and then the other one is this Federal Reserve one. Um, you know, like make of it what you will. Obviously, like that's one where like maybe the truth will never come out. But um, I, don't I don't know, know dude. If, if you're the, the, the Titanic was a huge deal. Like it was all the wealthy people. Like almost like the Hindenburg, similar to that. You've heard about that, right? Of course. Uh, Todd, shout out Todd. You should talk about that show because I'm, dude. I could, if you would, you rather have five million dollars or have a time machine? Time machine because I can go back to 2017 and throw in every cent I have to my name into Bitcoin. Okay. So, <laughs> so with that being said, this, this show Drew and I have been watching this summer. It's called Timeless, and it's about basically it turns out it's basically. Wait, before we get into this, let's wrap up on that. Let, let's close up on that. JP Morgan. I think it ties to it, but yeah, go on. Just just to wrap up really quick, at least my last point. I mean, dude, if you're if that's the biggest thing, and if you own the company that owns it, you're getting on that fucking boat, right? Like, come on. And then the day before, you're just like, oh yeah, no, nah, I'm not gonna go. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's a crazy coincidence, but that seems a little that seems a little ridiculous. Truthfully, maybe it's. Just like a lie, like at the end of the day, this is a barstool Chicago. <laughs> no, but that's something I, I've heard that. I've seen it too, before. and like, yeah, maybe he wasn't supposed to get on the date. Who knows? Yeah, that's why it would be nice to have a time machine, though. Absolutely, pyramids. Uh, a time machine would be unreal. Yeah. Um, do you think time travel could be real? You're no. quite, you're quite a physicist no. at heart. No. No, because the fastest thing in the world that we know of at least speed of light right and so so okay I, I, mm, how deep can I go I'm trying to debate it go as deep as you need to so 
here's how time can be warped. So we get really close to a black hole, right? And for, for those who have seen the movie Interstellar, it's kind of a good depiction of it. And so like time dilation, right? You go to something with an insanely tremendous mass and it warps, you've heard the concept of space-time, presented in Einstein's theory of general rel uh, of relativity. So the, when space-time is warped by this massive glob of gravity, aka the black hole, time goes by a lot slower when you're closer because the fabric of space-time is stretched so much. And this is like not a true physics way of explaining it, but it's like a good way to visualize it, conceptualize it. And so then, if you're close to it for however long, and then you head back to a further distance, it'll technically be like way far in the future, because time goes by so slow when you're closer. So, I guess tactically, that's some sort of time travel, but it's not going back in time. That's the thing. You're just moving, you're, your time is relative to the position of the person further away from the gravity from the gravity where the space time is re regular, mm -hmm. your time is going faster, in a sense. And so, or slower, I should say. So then when you go back, they went 10 years ahead, you've only went, I don't know, a month. And so, like, that's, that's as far as I, I mean, obviously, who, who knows? Maybe the quantum computer will help us when it eventually comes out. Mm -hmm. But as far as I, as far as I know, that's, about the extent of time travel. Now, they do also say that if you're able to travel faster than the speed of light, you can technically time travel, but I think only time travel can go forward because you can you think about moving really fast, but like you can't move slower than zero. Mm -hmm. You can't move negatively slow. So like time is all about like movement in a sense, like either moving super fast or then you're you relative to the people who are slower. Yeah. So I don't I don't totally know, but it's definitely something that I hopefully we make progress on in the next in our lifetime. In our lifetime, but I, I doubt it. Yeah. I will say this. So you did say one thing earlier about I was talking about a time travel show or two and you were saying you prefer books. But I will say sometimes I do think film or television Obviously, if you're consuming a fuck ton of it, like it's, it'll melt your brain. I would assume like it can't be great for you, but like I do think in some in some instances it can be pretty awesome and like pretty educate or like just like insightful or interesting. Yeah, for sure. So I would say there's actually a few time travel movies that I think or shows that are, I think are sick, and this one, Timeless, I think is like the most criminal show to ever be canceled in in American history. But we like canceled politically. No, they just like, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Um, it was about like, it was about like a deep state <laughs> taking over America. True. No, but this show's great. It turns out like a company in the United States creates a time machine and it gets stolen by a terrorist organization who wants to wipe the U.S. out. So they go back to different points in American history and try and mess with it. So that so they take one more time machine. The government sends a scientist, a military guy, and a historian back to like try and stop them. It's all-time television. When you say it's pretty interesting, absolutely. Um, highly recommend. Yeah, I highly recommend it as well. Um, Drew, we got a couple more minutes here, um, but I do also want to get some of your thoughts on a few a few other things as we wrap up here. Uh, what are you most excited about for the Fourth of July? Fourth of July is always great. I feel like it's the point in the summer when you get there, you're like, "Fuck, the summer's over." But it's a great weekend and it's super fun. And as I'm getting into the working world, 
fantastic break from going into the office every day, being able to have a good time, and honestly, I think it's an important day, too, because as much as we like to talk about what's wrong in this country, it is... It is, a, it is a massive luxury to be able to live in a place where, I mean, you hear about, and, and like we always say, who knows, but live in a place where it's not completely authoritarian and everything you do is controlled. I mean, you hear about some of this stuff that's going on in China with, like, the social credit system and, and the facial recognition and, and their ability of being able to monitor every person at all times. And so I think it is a good day to kind of chuck our tinfoil hats as far away as we can let them go and be grateful for uh, the sacrifice that a lot of people have given to us, allegedly. Not to. (laughs) No, I could not agree more. But uh, to to, uh, give us our freedom and allow us to be able to talk about this shit that we're talking about right now. It's obviously a huge blessing and very data reflect on that gratefulness. Wow, I really couldn't have said it better myself. No, dude, I think 4th of July is, like, one of the top three days of the year, and, like, Christmas is awesome and all, but, like, it's also awesome to be, like, celebrating, like, a day of gratitude for, like, our country that, at the end of the day, is the greatest country on Earth when it's, like, 90 degrees out, sunny and beautiful, so, like, such a nice summer summer break at pretty much, like, the halfway mark, and um, I think you make a great point, too, about so easy to, like, get conspiratorial or whatever, but at the end of the day... <laughs> If we were doing this out of China or Russia, like, we would have armed guards at our doors the second we upload any of these episodes. So, like, it's definitely nice to take a step back and really, you know, like I said, appreciate freedom. Yeah, I think, honestly, maybe we don't do this enough on this show, but I think that's a very good point that we make there because we this wouldn't even be possible if we didn't live in the country we do. And I think... It's easy to talk about what's wrong and debate with our family members and whatnot about classic Thanksgiving table politics. But I think the fourth is the day when everyone should really kind of step back and kind of come together and realize that we, we wouldn't even be able to deba- have these debates and, and yell at each other and, and have someone getting too drunk and crying that night. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a great time for that. To appreciate the fact that I would say we do undoubtedly live in the greatest country in the history of human human civilization, really. That's a crazy point you bring up, because I do always forget that the, what you're able to afford with any amount of money in, in today's times is infinitely greater than ever. I mean, you think about, like, all the shit that we're able to get, and our biggest complaints are like, I need a new shirt or like I need new shoes my Uber Eats isn't here fast enough when like up until 100 years ago 50% of people were starving to death yeah and and, and especially like I know a lot of people have are dealing with like whether it be like anxiety or like their own issues or all that stuff and so uh, once again not to get too soft here one might say but no in in all actuality it's it's important to realize how lucky we truly are and no matter what you're going through, kind of realize that the men who, who have given their lives for, the, for, this, for our country during World War II and, and before that, uh, very, very lucky. Yeah, no, we, we owe everything to them.
Um, so with that being said, God bless America. I'll see you this weekend, I'm sure. Maybe get out on the golf course. It'll be a great time. Absolutely.